0: Well, welcome to the conclusion, to the finale, if you will, of Weird. You can keep on being weird, but we're done with weird because normal is not working. Now, this is odd. Um, It is odd because it's both normal and weird at the same time. But 94% of North Americans believe in God or some universal spirit, but 94% of North Americans do not live as if he exists. To live like he exists would be to live in such a way that people standing here would notice. They, they will notice what you're doing and they'll say, hey, you're, you're more than a little weird. You're not normal. And it's normal to say things that we don't really mean. It's normal to say, I believe in God. It is weird to really live Like we believe what he says. It's normal to say, I believe in God. But it's also normal to live in such a way that it is clear, I trust in money. Very few people would, would actually say that, but it's true. By the way that we live our lives represents what is truly important to us. Many of us claim belief in God, and yet we trust, we serve, we worship, and believe in money challenges this. Jesus, uh, he said in Luke chapter 12, verse 4, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's true, it's difficult for many of us to truly treasure God. We treasure money and, and, and the goodies that we can purchase, the things of this world, more than we do the things of God. Our heart is here. And because of that, our heart is not as much with God as it is with the things of this world. And this is where we need to grow a weird view of money because we believe in God, but we struggle with trust in money. And how do we trust in money? What does that look like? We trust in money to provide happiness. Now, most of us would say, I, I, trust, I don't trust in money for happiness. Like we, we, we don't say it like that, right? But how many of you would agree that... Um, money does not buy happiness, right? Like that—that that We've heard that phrase for so much, but, but how many of you would say, but a little bit more or a lot of bit more would what, what actually help me to feel better. I wouldn't feel as bad. And we sense that disconnect there. I mean, we claim that money does not buy happiness. That's what we've been told our whole lives, right? But when you're honest, almost everyone would say, but more would help. I wouldn't feel as bad, I, I, why don't we just go directly to the source, right? Just give me the money. And there's, there's no need to bother God with this problem because we believe in God, but we trust money in so many ways to make us happy or the things that money can buy. We don't want to admit that. It doesn't sound nice when you say that, but the way that we live declares it to be true repeatedly. So if you look at many people in our country today, many are just drowning in financial debt. Why? You know, there's some exceptions, right? But things like extreme medical problems or bad luck or bad relationships. But the vast majority of the people in our culture today are overwhelmed by or on the edge of being overwhelmed by debt. Why? Because they believe and have believed that the things that they buy will make them happy the house they couldn't afford, the car they couldn't afford. The clothing clothing we couldn't afford. the, The gadgets we couldn't afford. The cell phone and the cell phone bills we couldn't afford. We believe that what money buys will make us happy. So much so that we just say, well, a lot of these things are just necessary. We believe in God, but our actions say we look for our trust in this. That's why it's so hard to give it away. Why would you want to give away your happiness? The second way that we um, trust in money is to provide security. So for some people, it's not about buying the fancy stuff or lots of stuff or the new stuff as much as it is, is that money helps me feel secure, right? Just a little bit better. And so we design our lives so that we don't really need God. I've taken care of it all. I've got it all planned out. We don't have any debt. Um, We've got all the insurance that you can possibly find so that no matter what happens, I'm gonna be financially secure. Financial security is assured. And that's a goal for many people. And I believe in God, but I trust in the bills. Right? You say that, that's not me. I go, not you or not you yet? Are you laying the groundwork to live like this? You say, like, don't mess with the thing that makes me feel safe. Believe in God. Don't trust in this. And I can identify with both of those desires at different times. Sometimes I think at the same time, uh, maybe you are like me in that. Maybe in in that regard, you could say, yeah, I also have felt those things. Sometimes the stuff, the gear, the equipment, the shiny things, sometimes it's just more that security uh, for the unknown and the inevitable. I feel safe when I've got enough. But why is this such an issue? Why do you bring it up? because for so many of us the number one competitor for our heart is money it's the way that we make our decisions that's why scripture is so direct 1st Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil is money evil no no not at all are the things that money can buy evil well potentially but not necessarily what is evil the love of money It's the root of all kinds of evil, because some people, eager for money, have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Ouch. Like, that's a self-inflicted wound. Who Who wants to be hurt, but certainly not by yourself? And the problem is, you know people who have done this, and chances are, you have been that person at some point in your life. So just stop for a moment and let that sink in. We get naturally defensive when we talk about money. But some people, eager for money, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Then we get the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 16, uh, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He does not say, what's the opposite of God? We think evil, Satan, right? He doesn't say that. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve them both. You can't serve both God and money. And why did he say that? Why did he draw that, that conclusion there? Because so many of us, the number one competitor for our heart, the number one way that we prefer to make our decisions is based on money. And why is money a competitor? Because it's actually a false God, a false place to put your trust. It has a name, mammon. It's an idol. It wants to be number one. God wants us to worship, to serve, to love, and to depend on him. It's okay if we use money. It's okay. Use it. It's neutral. Worship, love, and serve God. Use money. But what happens is, without knowing it, it just subtly changes. We tend to begin to worship, serve, and love money, and use God. God, please give me. God, please send me. God, give me more of this. Yeah, I want to believe in you. But man, I want everything that this stuff can provide. Yes, 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 I I want you in there as well. But oh, this stuff is important to me. And the whole security thing, it, it runs so deep. We see Jesus meet up with two different rich guys, two different occasions. Two rich guys, they run into Jesus. Maybe you'll see yourself in uh, these stories. Maybe you'll show up there. So the first guy is a very intelligent, well-educated, sharp, young man. He's on the upswing. Here he is. He's the bachelor. He's the rich, young ruler. There's thunderous applause. Matthew 19, Jesus encounters this guy, and he wants to know, he's serious in his pursuit of faith. What do I need to do to be saved? How do I do it? I'm trying. I'm on the path. What do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus responds to him very directly. It's the only time Jesus ever says this to anyone. But he answers this rich young guy and he says in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Treasure in heaven. That's a really hard sell, isn't it? It's hard to believe that. It's hard to get behind that. Why did Jesus say this to this particular guy? Because he could identify that this is an area that this guy struggled in in his life. He believed in God. He wanted to know God. He wanted to follow God. He wanted to be right with God. But, oh man, he trusted in his great wealth. And Jesus was saying, there's something in your life that's more important. It was more important to you than God. There's more defining in how you're going to live. So which one are you going to choose? And here's his response in verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. The, the, the bill's just more important than God. The rich guy said, I'm sorry, Jesus, I, I'm all about what you're doing. I, I, I want to get closer to God, but I'm not willing to give up my stuff. And honestly, why should I? What's the problem? And that's why Jesus fleshes this out. He continues the conversation because it's painful, right? And so he talks to his disciples afterwards. He says, you guys, you got to understand it is so hard for rich folk to really get saved. Jesus says you're at such an extreme disadvantage spiritually because it's so hard for the rich. It's so hard for them to put God first because they've got so many other things, so many other options. And there's this underlying power and control struggle lying just beneath the surface. Another guy, another rich guy encounters Jesus, but this one, not not as honest in his intent. Poor morals, really bad morals. He's one of the most despised people of the day. Little bitty guy, uh, short guy, short guy complex, named Zacchaeus. And he's a tax collector, which means that he was basically, uh, he had a license to steal. In that day, he could say, um, okay, step up, you owe the government $50, that's what he's thinking in his head, but out loud he says, you owe $70, and then he takes the $50, pays that off to the government, takes the extra 20 for himself, and that's what he could do legally. He had a license to do that, so he's basically a legal criminal, and everybody hated him. Uh, he's Jewish and he's ripping off his own people. And that was a really big deal to anyone, but certainly to the Jews. If it was Roman, it would be one thing, but he's Jewish. (sighs) If it was Roman, you go, okay, you're bad. We think that, but you're Jewish. How can you do this to us? And he's doing it with Roman muscle to force it. So Jesus is coming to town. He wants to meet him, but he couldn't see him. He's short. He couldn't see through the crowd. So he climbs up a tree. And because he's a wee little man, a wee little man was he, Jesus came in to the town, and Jesus wanted to talk to him. And Jesus says, hey, can I come over to your house for dinner? Little guy, he saw Jesus, met Jesus, heard Jesus, experienced Jesus. And as he did that, it changed everything. Here's here's what happened when he recognized who Jesus was. It's verse 8, Luke chapter 19. But Zacchaeus stood up, said to the Lord, look, Lord. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody, and I probably have, I'm going to pay that back four times the amount. In other words, Jesus, I've, I've seen you. I've experienced you. And all of a sudden, all these things that were so important to me, my whole way of life, my whole way of making decisions, just yesterday, they, they've all changed. It used to be all about the bling, bling, the show, the look at me, I've got it, the money, the image, the security. It was all about that. But wow, Jesus, now that I've met you, my my mind is altered. I've been transformed. I'm not eyes up on Jesus and that stuff. that just doesn't hold me anymore. And so everything I have, half of it, I'm going to give it away to serve you, to follow, to live like you lead. I want to follow you. And then what does Jesus say? If you keep reading along, Jesus said, today salvation has come to your home. Now, salvation did not come to his home because he gave half, right? Let's be clear about that. He gave half because salvation came to his home, and there's a tremendously big difference there because he saw Jesus. He fully recognized that the things of this world are in perspective. They don't last and truly recognize Jesus is the Savior. He's the King. He's the Lord, and all of a sudden, this stuff, just doesn't hold him like it once did. That's been a little bit of my story. And I'll tell you where I am right now. When, when, when I'm far from God, and some of you go, well, you're a pastor, so obviously you never do that. How would that ever happen? How would you ever be far from God? I'm telling you, I'm a regular guy. And, and, and it happens too much. My heart drifts away from God. And, and I get when I'm, you know, I'm far from God. And well, I'll be honest, the things of this world, they start to appear more shiny. They start to appear more fun. They're they're appealing to me. They become more necessary. That's the way it is. And when I'm far from God, it looks appealing to me. And when I'm close to Him, the things of the world, they just don't look as appealing. I just don't see them as clearly. I don't see them as much. They don't seem to show up on my timeline in the same frequency. Because in that connection, He's enough. Jesus first and everything else after. He's got my focus, He's got my eyes. He's transforming me, and it doesn't mean that I don't have things, but it means that things don't have me. And if you find that you're still consumed with the bigger, the better, the faster, the shinier, I'd say, hold on, just honestly, lovingly, very respectfully, it's probably because you're the same place I was. You're just distant right now. You're not close. You're not in good proximity to God right now. When you're close to Him, the other stuff loses its power. I'm going to show you a couple places where I think this happens. When you fall in love with Jesus, you will fear God. Because it becomes clear who He is. And when you fall in love with Jesus, you you can't be just lukewarm because you know who He is. And all of a sudden, things just loosen their grip. They don't have the power they once did. Many things happen. Here's two. Uh, Number one, you're going to become weirdly content. I say weirdly because people won't understand it. It's not normal, because most people are not content. You're different now. You're not normal. You're weird. You're content. You're satisfied. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world to not be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. It's just so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides Everything that we need for our enjoyment. So, where is your hope? Today, where, where, where is your hope placed? When we first started to- taking baby steps at launching into one, people asked me, Great, but what about your future? What about your family? What will you do? How will it all get taken care of? And I tell you, at that time, I was at peace. And I said, I'm content. God will provide, and and, and that was the trust relationship. I wanted so much to live in faith and to be dependent on God to provide, and I was at peace, not perpetually, but consistently. Second thing is this. When you fall radically in love with Jesus, you become weirdly generous. The things of this world don't hold you in the same way. And and, and then you start to see that you've got a great responsibility, and you you become just plain generous. It grows out of you. People's giving to the church is weird, right? 21% of consistent churchgoers don't give anything to their church. Almost one in four give nothing. That's some of you, I guess. Own that for a minute. Why? Why don't you? Is it because money is your God? 71% give less than 2%. Why? I believe that the first 10% is holy unto the Lord, and it's my joy to return it to Him. And this spiritual discipline, maybe it's the next step for you. Maybe it's the next step in your pursuit of Jesus, because it teaches us so much foundational, important, life changing things. It's all focused now about God and His provision. Will God be faithful to me? My faith in Him. I believe that when I honor him, he responds. And I am convinced, absolutely convinced, that 90% with God's blessing is worth more than 100% without his blessing. I'm convinced. Not what you say you believe, but what you will actually live out in your belief. Do you trust him? It it impacts all areas of your life. Do you believe him? Not on again, off again giving. Not I'll give for a little bit until I feel I I can't afford it. Giving is a mark of discipleship before God. Following, obeying, trusting. And when you stop giving, you remove that area of your life from God's control. You move yourself out of God's control and once again place yourself under control of another God. That God is named Mammon. And God said, test me in this. The only place that he said, test me in this. There is no other way that we are supposed to test God except in this way. I get to test God and see His faithfulness. And here's the deal. Honestly, it can be really scary to start. I totally get that. You mean to tell me that I'm supposed to give regularly and intentionally, not just when the mood kind of strikes me I get a little bit choked up inside? It's freaky to start to be a PPG, a planned percentage giver. But plan it. Pick a percentage to start. Where you begin is not the end of your journey, okay? But you start somewhere, and you can always increase. You can always grow later as you grow. Pick a number to start. Something that you will notice. Let's say something like 5 to 10%. It's a good starting place. It's entry level. Well, now, I give you a number, right? And all of a sudden, the eyebrows go up. The jaw kind of goes down. You're crazy. There's no way I could do that. Just hold on a second. Do you know what that's going to do? to do that, I'm going to have to change my life. I'm going to have to adjust and change the way that I live. Exactly. Exactly. Think about this. Think about it. I'm going to have to change my lifestyle to submit to God. Yes. You nailed it. That's the point. That's exactly where it's going and it's beautiful. But I don't want to change my lifestyle for God. But it's beautiful because it forces me to reprioritize my life, to say, guess what? I'm not going to serve this stuff. I'm not going to do just as it wants because I'm going to put God first intentionally on on purpose. I will have to adjust the way that I'm currently living so that my life will regularly be brought back to the place where I remember I am intentionally trying to prioritize God in my everyday living, in all of my decisions. And I go, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And it can be so freeing in so many ways. It forces me to deal with faith, to watch, will God come through? But the reality for most of us is that we are, we're content to give leftovers to a holy God. And we're not the first people to do this. Way back in the Old Testament, they did this too. God says, bring your best lambs to sacrifice. And these guys, they're just like us. They say, okay, <coughs> well, I'm not gonna give you my best one because look, I mean, obviously that one's perfect. Look at it beautiful. When I take that to market, gonna make some money. It's gonna be worth something. But I got this other one. Don't worry, God. I got another lamb. I got another one. He's a tiny bit bit scraggly looking. He's got, well, I mean, there's no hair that grows back by his butt, and he is blind, but um, nobody's gonna pay for that one, God. So I'm gonna give that one to you. Don't worry about it, God. I got a lamb all set aside for you. I'll give my leftovers to God. Here's what God said to that about that attitude in Malachi chapter 1, verse 8. When you bring your blind animals, you sacrifice. Is is, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Just go ahead and try offering them to your governor. Will he be pleased with you? Says the Lord Almighty. We arrange our life, the way that we're going to live, the way that we make our decisions, we arrange that around God and we return the tithe to Him um, joyfully, worshipfully, and then on top of that we look to give. We look to give in other ways. Time, treasure, talent. In in reality, our country, our philosophy is basically I'll give as long as it doesn't impact my standard of living. I'll give if I don't have to feel it. I'll give as long as it doesn't impact what what I want to do. I'll give as long as I've got enough of these bills. But I'm going to give... In such a way that I really have faith? That's a whole other thing. Yes, exactly. King David had an admirable philosophy on this. 2 Samuel 24, 24. Some guy comes up to him and says, hey, we're going to have a sacrifice. Don't worry, David, I got you covered. I'm going to give you some oxen. You go and sacrifice them. And David says, no. Verse 24, I insist on paying for it. I'm not going to sacrifice anything to the Lord my God. That cost me nothing. I don't want to preach this in any kind of way that makes you feel bad for what you have. Right? Nobody should feel guilty for what they've got. God blesses people. He blesses them all the time. I am a recipient of that blessing. But I want you to confront where you are, wherever it is you are. Putting faith in money above Jesus is a large and yet subtle problem. Because money is a false God and your devotion to it will grow. It's an idol. It lies and it does not last. You cannot be the same because either he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of all, or he's nothing. I believe he asks for all of our lives. This is not just a message for you, I assure you. It continues to very much be a message for me, to me, at me, like it is right now. I'm not done either. I still struggle in this world, even though I have seen so many chances, so many opportunities where God has been faithful to me, where it has been miraculous that he has been faithful to me. I still go into this place where I go, I doubt. I'm not sure. I'm uptight. A great example, really, really recent. A couple of weeks ago, I told you that we were going to, as a church, put a chunk down on our mortgage, that we wanted to do that. Last week, I told you that we were able to put $25,000 down on that mortgage, which is incredible. Um, The reason, one of the reasons we were able to do that is because there were so many people who said, "Um, I'm going to help. So we we, we took on the painting of the church so we didn't have to pay a contractor. And people like uh, David Smith and Jim Wilson, they worked their butt off painting in here so that we didn't have to pay. So that's part of the money that we have set aside, a gift that these people had given in their time and their talent and their treasure. So we had $32,000 in the bank. I don't normally like to talk about numbers, but the numbers here are significant. $32,000 in the bank and we say, 25. Oh, and, and I'm kind of going, 25, 25 is more. <laughs> okay, God, I totally believe you. Let's write the check, let's do it. Hand deliver the check, it goes in, and they cashed it like right away. So that was hard because I saw the bank drop. And so I'm looking at it and I go, oh, I know the, the, the stuff that's gotta come out. I know the bills that are just about on the horizon. And, that's right close to the number that we've got there, and that's not responsible. I've got to be a better business person. I've got to be in control. I've got to hold all on to this myself. God, what about all the things that I'm in charge of? What about the things that I need to be? And he goes, Graham, do you remember who the first investor in Into One was? Graham, I mean before you. You like to think that you're at the beginning, but you're not. Do you know who the first investor in Into One is, Graham? It's me. I bought in before you did. Frankly, I kind of had to pull you along with me. So I'm nervous. And I write back and I go, okay, here it is. And then in my nervousness, I try to apply this faith and I go, so now I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch for how God works, I'm going to watch for how this changes. And I'm telling you, the numbers, they're not everything, but they make it significant. They help us to to quantify things, but it's the timing. Honestly, I'll tell you, time, and again, it's God's timing, which is never the timing I would choose, but His timing is unbelievable. $25,000 gone. I'm told by smarter people than myself that that's going to amount to a difference in our mortgage that's going to be something like $38,000. So $25,000 payment on the principal is going to make at least $38,000 worth of difference in our overall paying down. I go, I'm so about that. I love that idea. Amazing. But in this Saturday, before the Sunday kind of time, I write out, I'm going to watch for what God's going to do. And inside, I go through a struggle that I go through. I wish I didn't. It's a voice that comes to me that's not bidden. I didn't ask for it. I don't think it's from me, but it comes and it comes again. Maybe you've heard a question like this. This is the one that comes to me time and again, and I still struggle with it. Remember how God was faithful in the past? Amazing! All these stories I can tell you, they're great! And then the voice says, but maybe he's now done. Maybe that was your full quota. Maybe it's time for you to stand on your own now. And it comes to me at times when it's about finances, and it comes to me at times when it's about forgiveness. Maybe you've reached the end. You can track all these stories and you say, it's incredible. Look at how much he's forgiven you. Look at how much he's given. Look at how much he's provided. And the struggle that comes back is, but maybe that's it. And I say it out loud and it doesn't seem to make sense because when you play these things in your head, especially late at night, then there's tension inside in the real world. Not in the happy spiritual world, let me tell you how everything works out, but in that place when you go, this is where it hurts inside, I don't know. Maybe it's done. Maybe that's all the grace that was set aside for you. And it's, it's a great place and a horrible place to be again. You have to face this. I'm concerned. By Tuesday. That was Saturday night. By Tuesday, I have to quantify, I have to make deposit, I have to make accounting. We've had the largest offering that we've had since March. And the numbers, again, they, they don't matter, but they matter, right? The timing. God, I want to believe. I want to, I want to reach out in faith. And then I look down But what about these numbers? What about, how will we ever? Graham, do you remember who the first investor was? I'm still in, is the message that God sends to me. I'm not done, why would you think I'm done? What I begin, I carry through to completion. And it's for this church called Into One, but Graham, it's for you as well. You need to keep growing. Your faith needs to keep growing, and that's the story I want to share with you. When we talk about money, we are all naturally defensive. I don't want to talk about money. I don't want your hand in my pocket. The church doesn't need any more money. It's for you. Dealing with the hold that that stuff has on you. There is freedom on the other side. There really is a freedom that you can move to trust in God. How does it work out? I don't know, but it does. How will God show up this time? I don't know, but he does. And the timing again for me, just me, so recently, reminds me, God said, I'm in, I'm not done. And and the message that we had for you, the 10th anniversary challenge that we had for you this month was to focus on the eyes up. Jesus first. Everything else after. And I long for you to be able to experience some of that freedom. To trust, to put your weight, your belief, your methods of decision-making on Him. Can lift you up support you in those places where you feel weak when you learn to say this this is my only hope you can be free to have hope and not keep holding on to it yourself saying how will i fix it if it all goes wrong you say i trust my god shows up as i earnestly pursue him as i put my eyes up on him as I, as I do that, he meets me on that journey. It is not theoretical. It is not theological alone. It is lived out in this life, in this world. And it continues to be lived out by me in this world still, even though I get to stand on the platform and I've got a microphone and I get to say pastory kinds of things. I'm still in this. I'm still at the same place that you are. We are still in a struggling kind of place to put our faith in God and then to live in such a way that our faith is actually there, that I place my weight, my trust all on Him, not holding it back anymore. And that's what I want to invite you into. Finances is a great way to help deal with that. But the truth is, what I want is for you to be able to trust God, to follow Him, and to follow Him well. And that's my invitation for you today. Will you follow? Let's pray. Kind Father, I thank you for the way that you have met me. I thank you for the fact that this is true for so many that are hearing this right now, that they 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 know this is their story as well. I made those same choices. I've struggled in that same place. I remember I've done it. And I've done it again. And I've experienced that freedom in my my oh, Jesus, my, my my heart is so much for my friends that are that are nervous about it it doesn't make sense. If I do that, everything, every conventional bit of wisdom tells me that if I do that, I will be not normal. I'll be weird. And not just weird, I will be irrational. And I want to trust But but my rational mind holds me back in some places because it doesn't seem like that makes sense. The, The math doesn't seem to add up. And you, you rewrite the laws of mathematics. When I trust, when I give and I release to you, you continue, you have been faithful throughout my entire life, throughout history, you have been faithful to provide. In my lifetime, and again, I've been able to say, beyond all I can ask or even imagine, And even in that place, I can say, then why do I keep forgetting? Why do I have to keep relearning? But that is my desire. I want to keep relearning. I I, I want it to be true. I still want to live in, in faith dependent, just like when we started into one that I said, I just want to have a faith story of my own. I want that story to continue to be written. And I want it for my friends that are listening, watching right now. Push through the arguments that say, not now, not for me, about someone else. That's ridiculous. He just wants my money. Push through all those things. Jesus, speak to these, my friends now. Deliver to them the peace and the freedom which you long to bring into their life. Set them free. That they could delight in you. Jesus first, everything else after. Help us to see as you see so that we can do as you say. We go forward with our eyes up on you, Jesus. Thanks. Amen.